This is a Q Media production. Leading and navigating change across a business can be overwhelming. So many leaders are handed a project by their board or CEO, and suddenly they're expected to create the vision, inspire their team, navigate roadblocks, and make some really hard decisions. It can feel like you're swimming in the ocean at night, not knowing which way to go. So how is a leader supposed to know how to drive change? The challenge is, there's no course or dummy's guide to leading change until now. This is your crash course in leading change, and I'm your guide, Lauren Ryder. In this podcast, you'll learn from top C-suite and executive leaders who've driven impactful change across their organizations. No matter what project you're leading, maybe it's a sales transformation or a restructure or a digital transformation, either way, the approach to leading change is the same. It all starts with an inspirational leader, and that's you. Welcome to the Leading Change Podcast. This week, I speak to Tanya Graham, the Executive General Manager at HealthScope, where we talked about humanizing digital transformation. We spend a lot of time talking about the human aspect of change, how we use language, how do we create oh shit moments, and what makes a successful transformation. We also talked about how to manage resistance from boards and also some top tips for running your own digital transformation. Enjoy the episode. Tanya, nice to have you. Hi. So digital transformation is a total buzzword. Like when you say to most people, their eyes glaze over and they have no idea what you're talking about. And even more so if they do, they kind of all think it's something else. So what do you think digital transformation is? Um, It's a really good question. And I think you're right. Like everyone has a completely different view of what digital transformation is. And that's probably a good thing because it probably is a different thing for different organisations and different people. Everything from, you know, digitisation, removing paper out of an organisation to, um, you know, trying to improve experience in the way that people might interact with a product or a service. So it's it's pretty broad, but essentially, I guess it's about modernisation and um trying to get creative with the experience you're trying to create for your customers. So how would you actually start that? What would you actually look into if, you, if your business said, well, what's the problem? How would you actually say, I need digital transformation? Yeah, I think it's good to link it back to um, what are the business kind of outcomes and problems you're trying to solve or the opportunities that you're trying to capitalise on um, and really trying to define, you know, what are those customer outcomes that you're really trying to deliver and therefore, you know, how can technology then help you to, to get there faster or in a more creative way? But yeah, I think you've got to you've got to really unpack what those customer outcomes are. Yeah, cool. I might just rewind and say where, where how we met because we actually met years ago. I think it's probably ten years ago now. I reckon it is almost ten years ago. <laughs> oh, no. I reckon yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and so you're actually a client of mine, and um, I think you were sort of strategic manager of strategic programs at the time. And I loved working with you because I, you were able to take these really complex IT projects that we were rolling out and actually just simplify them, and actually take them to stakeholders. And I, I was kind of wowed and amazed at that time how, how well you did. That. That. but and I've watched your career blossom since then but if we go backwards how did you get to where you are today that's a really interesting question and um, I have no idea I had no plan or actually no I tell a lie when I left university I had a 10-year career plan 
um, super organised, all mapped out. And I was going to be, you know, the director of operations. I was I started off life in manufacturing and operations, and I was going to work my way up the up the ladder and become the boss in the operational space. Um, but that really quickly changed, and I guess my career has always been driven by um, an exciting opportunity that's, you know, sparked my interest. And I guess for me, with my career. When you look back, I've worked across different industries. So pretty much every time I've changed roles, I've changed industry. Um, and that's always been about, well, what's the opportunity? What's the opportunity to create something new, create something different, um, really have an impact? And I guess so transformation has always been the theme all the way through. And that's pretty transferable between any industry. And, and very quickly, technology became a theme as well and of course as as technology has advanced it's become more around digital um, but essentially it's it's around technology and what you can do with technology. Excellent so if we start looking into some of the really cool projects that you've looked after so maybe take one for example let us know kind of what, what industry it was what were you trying to do maybe delve into it and, and kind of explain what was the need for it and and, and what were you trying to achieve? Yeah I think um one of the interesting projects actually that you know fits into a little bit into the digital space or the early digital space was from a company where we worked together years ago um, and I guess essentially the the issue that we had at the time was social media was taking off um, people were using social media more and more and more to voice their um, comments complaints um, concerns and as an organization we didn't have a way to get visibility of all of that information. So, you know, customer complaints, it was, you know, an organisation that had a number of um, facilities in the community. And of course, those kind of complaints then start to snowball and end up on local Facebook groups and can really damage your reputation and your brand as well. But we had no way of actually looking at that information or pulling it all together. So we had, you know, a random person in a team looking at a Facebook site. Um, we had people kind of in the facilities that might have conversations with customers, but that didn't really go anywhere and wasn't consolidated. So we didn't really understand what the themes were or where some of the bigger challenges were that we could probably jump onto and address. Um, so what we did was we put in essentially a list customer listening platform. Um, which you know was quite revolutionary at the time, but pulled together all of these different channels of information. So all of the um, all of the comments across social media, Google reviews, all of those different channels that customers could um, provide information or comments or feedback, um, pulled it all together into one platform, and then you could very quickly see what some of the challenges were from a, from a business sense, but also what some of the challenges were at the individual facilities as well that could then be quickly addressed. And so that was sort of, you know, you might not think of that as digital in the pure sense, but it was certainly one platform pulling all of that information together and then looking at the insights and the trends and, and the themes. So that was, a, that was a really interesting project. And you get what were the outcomes and, and how did you measure that? Well, it was kind of interesting because um, I think initially, if you think about it, the the water level dropped and suddenly all these rocks were exposed. Um, so it was quite confronting, I think, for a number of people, particularly the leaders of um, some of the facilities. And 
you know, to suddenly see all this information and then think, well, is that a reflection on me personally in the way that I'm running this centre or or is it actually something that I can I can now impact and change? Um, so from a measure, measuring perspective, um, what, what we were able to do is essentially um, sort of rank all of the centres in terms of how they were performing based on this feedback. Um, and you could very quickly see the ones that were getting very, very positive customer feedback um, and understand, well, what, what were the drivers of that? So what were the good things that were happening and how do we replicate that over the other centres? But also where were some of the real challenges and what were the root causes of those? So it made it all very visible. And through the platform, um, you know, essentially you could get dashboards so you could see how each area was performing. So it sounds like, you know, when we talk about digital transformation, it sounds like it's all technology. But what you've just said is actually it's a technology enabling a better business in, um, outcome so they yeah. can actually work together. Yeah. yeah, essentially, yes. And I guess the other benefit was, um, you know, the leaders of these um, places were able to then also work together on common problems. So you started to drive stronger collaboration as well through the information that was being provided. And there was actually also a little bit of an element of competition because it suddenly became visible. You don't want to be the one that's at the bottom. You want to be the one that's at the top. Yeah. So, it, you know, by its very nature kind of actually... It was like gamified, raise, really. <laughs> it was gamified, yeah. yes. It helped to raise everybody's... Um, standards up a little bit I think. Sure so so you mentioned the people element of there and the people kind of being a bit confronted so you know when we look at sort of change management and kind of going okay how are we going to address the people was that something that you expected um, as an outcome so when you started to engage your stakeholders did you kind of prep them and say you might be getting some uncomfortable results or did it come as a surprise and, and how did you manage that piece? Yeah I think um, in hindsight we probably didn't manage it as well as we should have done um we were focused on the excitement of the <laughs> of the insights and you know the the fact that we were kind of playing in what was deemed as a digital space at the time and um we we sort of considered uh the fact that this information was going to become very visible to everybody but i don't think we really understood the impact that would have on people on a personal level um and so there was there was obviously some resistance in the the early days um, because some of it was a little bit confronting where you know some of the comments were can be quite brutal from customers um, and yeah I don't think we really thought that through and we we didn't apply a proper like a really in depth change management approach to what we were doing and we probably should have done we probably thought about should have thought about um, yeah the people impact a lot more yeah so what would you have done differently then. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think we fell into the trap of looking at it too much through the technology lens. And I think you've got to think very carefully about um, the people side and also the process side as well, because we needed to wrap some processes around what we were doing. Um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, just really thinking through the um, the sort of the emotions that people go through when a change like that is actually implemented and how do you get them on board early and I think what we should have done is actually got them in, involved in the the design of what we were doing earlier as opposed to it being you know created as a project on the side and then and then we brought them into it and that was probably a bit too late if they'd been involved right from the beginning they would have had a lot more say in what we were doing and they would have felt a lot more comfortable with 
yeah, is where we were going. Yeah, with that, it. that co-creation piece is so important as the first step to actually yeah. bring people on the journey. I always say that um, it's important to make people think it was their idea. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> the first yeah. step to success. Now, I'm sure you've worked with a lot of businesses as well. You probably were brought on board that were actually probably a bit outdated system, had outdated systems, they you know, needed to move forward. So when you get into an organization like that, those are massive, expensive projects to roll out. And, yeah. and I think even probably getting them kicked off and, and understanding the strategy and the budget, those are hard pieces. Tell us about um, an experience you've had in that space. I've had lots of experience in that space. Um, it's funny, a colleague and I, we kind of joke about the fact that um, uh, she's worked with me on, on a number of projects in a number of organisations and we kind of joke and say we feel like we every time we work together and we change organisations, we go back several steps in levels of maturity. Um, and I shouldn't be surprised now, but you know there are a lot of organisations that still have a long way to go in terms of um, you know their maturity around technology um, and yeah it takes a lot of investment and it's not it's not a quick and easy thing to change either when you've got a lot of legacy technology particularly if it's you know on premise it's been around for years and it's the core technology that runs the business that's a huge investment and a huge change to drive forward um, I think one of the things you've got to bear in mind is just that time frame. So, you know, if I think about, uh, you know, my current organisation, um, we've gone through what we're probably in the third year now of actually modernising the technology and um, starting to move as, you know, as quickly as we can to build some stronger foundations to then be able to do some more interesting things in the digital space. But you've got to get that foundational piece in place first. You've got to get the infrastructure right. You've got to understand what where all your applications are at and what the roadmaps are for those, um, and then think about well, you know, what do you want to do in the digital space, and therefore what technology do you need to have in place to be able to do that to spin up some sort of new and interesting digital services. So yeah, I've done it done it a few times now. Hey guys, I've had a lot of people asking me questions about leadership high-performing teams, and business trends. So I've created the Leading Edge Brief, which is like having a cup of coffee with me in your email. Sign up today on our website, leading-edge.global. It's the best way to stay connected and keep up with any upcoming events, updates, and all the good stuff. Now back to the podcast. So when you get in there and you know, we'll get to the stage where you've got the strategy, agreed, we're going to go ahead, they've decided to put some money against it and then yep. you're sitting you know, in a room with a bunch of C-suite and you know, say there's six of them and you have seven opinions on what success looks like. How on earth do you work to align everybody to the same vision? Yeah, it's really challenging and I think, um, I think it's important to bring it back to the strategy and the purpose of the organisation. So, you know, if I think about um, work that I've been doing more recently, you know, we've, we started off with our strategy with eight strategic focus areas, which, which pretty much covered everything across the business. Um, and that was huge, the breadth was huge. And um, clearly we found within sort of 12, 18 months that we just did not have the capacity to drive that level of change in eight kind of core areas of the business. And so, you know, at the end of last year, 
as an executive, we made a conscious decision to narrow our focus down into three areas and just make sure that we could define those really well and then deliver the change across those really, really well. And I think that actually really helped to um, rein in those opinions and um, to help the executive team to then operate as a team and make group decisions across those areas rather than the, the danger we found with the, the eight strategic areas was they pretty much aligned to each of the executives. So they were very protective about their patch and their piece, whereas by narrowing into three, um, they had to work together as a team and make decisions as a team and prioritise as a team. So when it comes to them then leading the change and actually taking it out to the business, how did you choose who was going to be the sponsor for that project and, and to drive that through? Yeah, I think, or I mean, in this instance, it was pretty obvious because um, of the three areas, two of the three sat with one executive and the other one sat with another. So essentially, we've got, you know, out of an executive team of, say, eight people, we've got two executive sponsors that sit across the, the bulk of what we're doing strategically. Um, and that works really, really well. And I guess all of the other executives have a role to play because um, their teams are either supporting or enabling what's happening. So everybody has a role, but I think it's a, it's a lot clearer now that we've got that narrowed focus um, and helps us, yeah, in terms of prioritising where we spend the money and where we direct resources to as well. So I've been through a lot of these projects as well, and, and we've, I find that You've just mentioned three-year programs. I mean, these aren't little projects yeah. that you can get done in a few months. I mean, these are massive and they're big. And as we say, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. And people get tired <laughs> in a marathon. Yes. Um, how do you keep that excitement? Because, you know, it's the leaders who need to lead it, right? Um, mm. How do you keep them engaged and driving and sort of not disappearing onto the next big thing? Yeah, and, I, you know, again, I think if I, if I use the example of what we've been working on recently um, – you know, uh, it's healthcare organisation. So we've come out of three years of COVID. Um, so I think, you know, compare, I know everybody's had lots of different experiences, but I think from a healthcare perspective, we do have a very exhausted workforce. Um, a number, you know, we have challenges with turnover and, and that's not just us, that's across the industry where people are, you know, leaving the industry because they are exhausted and they just want to do something different. Um, so for us, I think it's, you know, those challenges aside, from a strategic perspective, we're trying to paint a change story and a vision that is compelling for people. Um, and we're trying to, you know, be crea as creative as possible around that. And I think, you know, up until recently, we had taken a very programmatic view and, you know, talked about, you know, these are our major projects and this is what we're delivering and this is when they're coming. But if you're a nurse, um, that doesn't really mean a lot to you. So what we're now doing um, is taking a slightly different lens and actually looking across the, the major projects and say there's 10 um, and thinking about, you know, from a nurse's perspective, what do each of those projects mean for a nurse? Some of them are relevant um, and highly impactful and others probably won't impact their role at all. But pull all those pieces together and then actually craft a bit of a story so a nurse can understand, all right, this is how my world is going to change. This is how my job's going to change for the better. Um, and this is what it's going to kind of look and feel like when all these things are in place. And then do the same for, you know, like a nurse unit manager and then a, a general manager. So each group of people kind of understand um, what's coming rather than it feeling like this scattergun of projects that are just being fired from 
from somewhere that they just have to deal with. Um, so we're trying to take a much more creative view as to how we sort of paint that picture for people. And it really goes into that what's in it for me piece, isn't yes. it? Because yeah. you know, the one thing that I've learned is that people actually don't care about anything except for their own job. Yeah, and what what it means for them. So that was really interesting talking about kind of the, the nurse's journey, and I'm guessing there's like new technologies that you're introducing yeah. along the way, and getting them all inspired <laughs> and excited is all fair and good, until you remember that they actually have a day job looking after patients. So I'm guessing you're probably facing a little bit of resistance. Yeah. How, how do you manage with that? It's it's, it's a really good point, uh, and it is a challenge just trying to get people's time for you know, just being able to explain to people what it is that we're doing and, you know, and what's coming um, and and then creating the time for people to go through training so they understand how to operate in a new way of working. Um, I guess it's, we're trying to make sure that uh, we're making things as simple as possible. I mean, in, in a classic sense, um, in a project that we're literally just rolling out at the moment and we've gone into pilot and we're about to scale, um, you know, we've mobilised a change champion network. We've got people um, from our hospitals who are embedded in the project team, who are advocates for what, what we're doing. And we've, we're really focused on um, how the project is gonna change the experience for the better and actually give them time back. Um, but essentially it's, uh, you know, as I say, the change champion network, I think will be helpful, but um, yeah, just, just trying to really kind of build out the um, experience for people. So when you're starting a project, you the first thing that we have to do is look at yep. all of our stakeholders. Who's impacted? Yep. What are we going to do? How are we going to address them? Now, one group of stakeholders that we don't often talk about is the board. Yep. And there's a lot of boards out there with a bunch of crusty old men who don't really know anything about digital technology, and I'm guessing you've probably presented to a few of these. How do you get them on board? How do you how do you speak to an audience that might not actually get what you're trying to present? Yeah, um, luckily boards are changing for the better. Uh, and so I suppose recent boards that I've worked with have been a lot more dynamic. Um, but yes, I have presented to a board in the past that um, was very, um, the same in terms of its composition, so maybe we won't go there. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, yeah, our, our current board are amazing, um, made up of a really diverse group of people um, who are also investors in the business. So they have a vested interest in, in what we're doing. Uh, but I think um, it, it's hard at the beginning because everything is really conceptual. And so you're talking about a strategy, you're talking about a business case, and it's it's all you know on paper, and it's all very theoretical about what's going to be delivered and how much it's going to cost and what the benefits are and when they're going to be delivered, which is all great and it needs to happen, and that's the discipline and the governance across a piece of work. But I think what really starts to hit home and get people excited is when you can then physically show them something. Um, and you know, I had an interesting experience just recently with our board where we showcased our first um, bot. So you know, we're, we're going down the path of robotic process automation, and um, we created a, a cute little video. It was a little bit cheesy um, of our bot, our first bot working away processing an invoice, and it's literally t a two-minute video. But the board absolutely loved it, and you know, the conversation 
shifted instantly from, you know, there's obvious efficiencies with putting something like that in and cost savings, so all the financials and the KPIs, but the conversation instantly went to, but what are we going to do now with this technology in the future and what are the opportunities and how can we bring in some of the more recent emerging technology to start to layer on top of this to give us even more advantage and create even more outcomes for our staff essentially um, and so the conversation just completely shifted from being you know conceptual and paper-based to okay wow now we've got a real opportunity on our hands how are we going to capitalize on that so I think um, you know for me obviously you've got to go through some of those early stages and you've got to try and generate some excitement but as soon as you the earlier you can showcase something the better because then you're just going to get more and more buy-in to continue down that path um so i think you know the key thing is to try and make it real and and really get their engagement and buy-in so when we're dealing with boards they often will as in my experience part of the way through the program suddenly decide that we have to cut some budget yeah, we come up across that a few times. How do you decide what to do? Because you know, when you've created a whole transformation strategy, they all feel very intertwined, each of the pieces, and, and that's how how a big program is designed. If you suddenly say, "Guys, sorry, we're going to have to cut scope," how do you prioritize that? Yeah, um, I mean, in the way that I tackle things is that uh, you know, through creating the strategic program or portfolio in the first place is to go through a lot of rigor to make sure that the things that actually make the cut are the really, really important things that are going to make a difference and turn the dial. Um, but yeah, there's always situations where, you know, for whatever reason, there's either financial constraints or there's capacity constraints, or as we talked about, you know, we're literally saturating the organisation with change and we need to pull the pace back a bit. Um, and I think what the language I tend to use is it's more about we're going to resequence things. Um, so, you know, I've learned over the years that to use the language about deprioritizing or cutting or stopping just has such a disruptive effect on the teams. Because often you are just, you know, pausing or, like I say, resequencing things because you, you literally can't deliver everything at that point in time. And um, most of the things that you want to deliver are still very valid, but you just need to stretch them out over a longer period. Um, and that obviously, people understand that a lot more. They can relate to that a lot more. Um, and so I think, again, it's about making sure you're taking the time to explain the decisions and what that means. And, you know, we're not going to do that piece now, but what we're planning to do is make sure it's included as a priority for next year. Um, and so that's that's the approach that I've started to take over the recent years and I found that that is a much more positive yeah. outcome and really kind of protects the relationships and the projects. Language is so important. Yeah. Why, why you need a comms person on your project. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we talked a little bit, you, you mentioned the video and actually it reminded me of when we worked together, it was actually we were rolling out a, a tool across an organization that no one really understood. And we actually created a video for it. You were the star of the show, if I seem to remember. <laughs> um, and it was great. And it was actually the first time that I had used a video. And since then, we've been doing a lot more of it, um, which is a great creative way. But are there other creative ways that you've been able to engage people across an organization to kind of inspire them? Yeah, yes. And I think, um we, we've started to um, use some language around our change management, which is around um, 
uh, it's actually through an organisation called Ben Delta, um, the Alchemy of Change. So we've got a change management methodology like most organisations do, but what, what the Alchemy of Change does is it sort of sits alongside the methodology and, and helps to bring the different components to life. And so within that, they talk about um, working out what the catalyst for the change is and then what's the magic. So what's the really kind of that unique piece that you can home in on that's really going to um, help to engage people and whether that's you know a slogan or a symbol or or a video or or something you can physically demonstrate that that pulls people in um there's there was one example that was used in the training where um uh, it was a healthcare organization in the u.s and the person wanted to demonstrate to the executive team how important hand hygiene was because they were just dismissing it as not an issue for the organization and they took into the um, the meeting room a Petri dish for each executive and got them to put their hand into the Petri dish. Oh, no. And then they brought it back two weeks later and showed the bacterial growth in each of the Petri dishes to demonstrate, you know, this is a really important thing that we need to make sure we're focused on as a priority as an organisation. Yeah. So it's, it's trying to find those little things yeah. that really kind of bring it to life. Yeah, yeah. because I think the hardest part in change, they always say it's it's the desire to change. Like you can tell people yeah. about it and they can kind of go, yeah, I think I, I know I need to do it, but to actually make them want to do it. I, I call it an oh yeah. shit moment yes. when people go, if I don't yeah. change, we're going to be in trouble. And that sounds like a great example of that. I think another example was um, just recently we were showcasing a project to a large group of our leaders and um, the project team came up with a great way of um, getting the leaders bought into it and um, the the first thing they did was they uh, talked about the the benefits and some of the downsides for the employee and the same for the manager and then they gave everybody um, lolly whistles. Remember those? Oh, gosh, yes. um, and so that was what everybody in the group had to use to vote for, you know, the pros and cons of the employee or the manager. It, it nearly backfired initially because people started to eat their lollies and then couldn't <laughs> blow the whistle. But it was a good idea. And then the other thing they did in that session was they got everybody in the group to write on a promise wall. What's the one thing you're going to do, you personally are going to do to make sure this change is a success? And then they've been referring to that as they've now been rolling out the project. They've been referring back to that promise wall. So that was pretty clever. Yeah, a bit of accountability doesn't go astray. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, you mentioned before that you have somebody who you've brought along to all of your projects. And as much as important to have the leaders and the stakeholders on board and driving and owning the change, your project team is actually super important to be able to deliver this. So I know you've taken people with you. What are the key characteristics of people who you want on your project delivery team? I think really people who understand what a good project looks like and how how a successful project needs to be set up and run. Um, you know, the advantage of, of sort of taking people with you is you know how each other work. You can hit the ground running. You don't have to have that ramp up of trying, you know, the dance of trying to work out, you know, how do you work? How do I work? How do we work together? Um, so, you know, when you find good people, it's great to keep them because, you know, you know you can work well together. But essentially, yeah, I think it's it's around, you know, people that really understand what, what good looks like. They've got the war wounds, they've been there, they've seen things fall apart, they've seen things go really well. 
um, and just drawing on all of that experience. And then I think from a change perspective, what I look for, there's a lot of variation in, you know, change managers and change leads. You've got some fantastic ones and you've got some that really don't get it enough. Um, but I like to find people who understand the mechanics of change um, but can also relate really well to people. And I'm also now more and more looking for that creative spark as well. Like how are you going to stand out from all the day-to-day -day noise in a business? So we all want to nail our strategy, right? But here's the thing I've picked up from working with growing companies. Their leaders aren't always singing the same tune, processes are not built to win, and there's a few key people who could use some skill boosting. The reality is, to make this happen, you've got to get three things in sync. People, processes, and systems. Now here's a smart move to keep that growth growing strong. Dive into our transformation and change programs, or a professional development program for your people. Our team have worked with some of the world's biggest businesses, giving them clear ways of working, upskilling their leaders, and taking all their headaches away from wondering if they're doing it right. We only have limited spots each year, so inquire at our site, www.leading-edge.global, and mention you heard it from this podcast. Now, technology is moving at such a fast rate. Um, you know, we set up a transformation project. It can take a year to get off the ground and then, you know, three years to roll out. By the time we finish, it's quite likely that the technology that we chose at the beginning is potentially outdated. So how do we actually set up a program so that the organization is not behind the times by the time we actually go live? Yeah, I, I think that was, um, that's been a real risk with, you know, the legacy technology where you do tend to put in a big project and then it's a set and forget. I think the, the difference with the more modern technology now is that, you know, particularly with things that are in the cloud is the vendors are constantly evolving that technology and updating it and keeping it current for you. So you don't have to go through those huge modernization cycles. So, you know, from a platform perspective, I think the vendors are then taking a lot of that on for you, which, which helps to make sure you're not putting in obsolete technology. Um, but then I think it is back to the conversation though, that constant conversation about how do you future-proof the technology and I think um, executive teams and CFOs in particular need to get comfortable with the fact that um, you might only be putting in a technology for 24 months and then you might be ripping it out and putting something else in so how do you get comfortable with the payback around that as well um, because that's a whole whole different dimension um, but I think you have to get used to those replacement cycles being a lot shorter if, if it's something that isn't going to be con constantly evolved by the vendor or by yourself, depending on what the technology is. But um, And I think you need to have people within the organisation who do have that future view. Um, so I think it's important, you know, within a technology team to have one or two people who are focused on emerging technology and they do bring in that external perspective and they're scanning for what's coming next and what are on the roadmaps of the major technology vendors and how do we build that into our strategy and roadmap and capitalise on what's coming and looking across other industries and seeing what they're doing and where are the relevant points for what 
is in our industry. It sounds like we're putting all these new technologies in. How do we ensure that the organization is set up with the right capabilities? And we always talk about end user change, but what about the actual people who are supporting it? How do you address that? Within the technology team. Yeah, Yeah, so I think it's, you know, for, for whoever the executive is who's overseeing the technology team, whether that's a CIO or a CTO or whatever the role title is, um, I think that person needs to have a strategic mindset and they need to be thinking constantly around the technology strategy and where that's going and how that is fully integrated into the business strategy. And I think it's in your, then it comes back to your people planning and how are you, you know, setting your team up for success and again, constantly on a regular basis reviewing what is the capability I have now? What is the capability that I need in the future? And what strategies am I going to employ to make sure I've got the right team at the right time? Am I, what are my development plans for people within the team where maybe you know, their skills are going to become obsolete? How do I retrain them into some new technologies? It's always better to keep the people that you have who understand the business than be constantly turning over and bringing in people. But you've got to come up with that strategy around you know, what talent do I build? What do I bring in? What do I outsource? Where do I partner? Um, But that really comes back to, I think, the technology leadership team having that constant view. So if we look back to some projects, there was highlights and lowlights. Are there any moments where you've gone, oh, my gosh, I I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one? Like, were there some challenges and and how'd you you get around it? Yeah, so there was, um, I had a project a few years ago, which was um, a big... Uh, reorganization and and transformation so essentially in the facility space um, back when I was working in the sort of the shopping center retail industry we had a situation where um, all of our facility staff across the the shopping centers pretty much did everything so the role was really broad and as an organization we made a decision to to split the role and have um, people focused on essentially the front of house and what that looked like and all of those activities and then a group of people who were more specialised who would focus essentially on the back of house. So, you know, maintaining air conditioning, all of of the kind of the back end sort of infrastructure type um, facilities work. And uh, the, the challenge, it sort of came back to, again, change management and engagement. The general manager for, for that area um, was um, a very strong personality and I didn't engage him early enough. And so that ended up in a really difficult situation where um, he was really digging his heels in in terms of the, the change that we needed to deliver. And I, initially I just could not work out why and um, I took a step back and I realised the reason he is being so resistant is because he is passionate about his team and he's really concerned about um, what the new structure is going to look like for his people and how they're going to be impacted and are they going to lose their jobs. And no one's really explained it to him in terms of what we're moving to and, and haven't involved him, like we talked about, in the design. So he's naturally trying to push back, push back, push back. And it was very difficult and he was very vocal and, you know, he was escalating all the way to the um, executives. And to your point, I was literally sitting there thinking, how the hell do I get out of this one? How do I turn this around? Um, 
But essentially it was I had to take the time to sit down and almost go back to square one and start again um, and go through all the things I should have gone through initially to, to get him on board and co-design with him and develop the role descriptions and work out the plan and the timing. Um, so yeah, it added a whole whole bunch of time, but we got there. Yeah. And then he was like, okay, I get it. I'm, this is what we need to do. And we moved forward. But um, it was a really tricky few weeks. Well, it's a, a big lesson in there is that often when we look at who are the stakeholders of a big program, we actually only look at the end users. Yeah. And we forget that their leaders, the middle management, who, you know, we, we people say, oh, we're stuck in the middle and, and they're the ones who are pushing back. They're only pushing back because they care about their people. Yeah. They actually want it to succeed. So we actually, when we're looking at stakeholders, it's every single level of the organization. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And you've you've got to you've got to take a step back and you've got to consider all those different groups. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So to wrap up, if you had one tip, trick, piece of recommendation for somebody who's about to embark on a digital transformation journey, what would that be? I don't have one. I've got three. Um, we've talked a lot about people. So I've got to say you've got to invest the time in relationships and understanding who's who's involved in, you know, the digital transformation that you're trying to create. Um, I think you absolutely need to understand the technology. Um and where that's going. And I think it's very important to, we haven't touched on this, but I think it's also very important to understand the ethics around the technology as well um, and some of the potential risks. Uh, so, you know, it's not it's not all plain sailing. So that's an important tip, I think, just to make sure you have really thought about the risks and the potential adverse impact that digitizing could create. Um, and then I think the other tip is uh, to make sure you celebrate success as you deliver those changes because um, sometimes we get lost and down in the weeds um, and it's really important to make sure you celebrate each step of the way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming along today. Thank you for having me.